So today is Rally Day. I love Rally Day. Five years ago, Jen and I were serving at Effort of Church of the Brethren, and I got a call from Harry Yeager, and he asked me to come speak at Rally Day here at Park Four Church, which was cool. It was kind of a homecoming uh, for me, and uh, you know, I hadn't been around for a while, and the new building was here and all of that, and so I was excited to come back and teach. It used to be the custom at Rally Day that we would have kind of a guest speaker come in and kind of rally the troops, that type of thing, and uh, so he asked me to come in and speak, and when I, when I was preparing for the message, I, I really sensed God leading me clearly to a specific text in uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, or I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 17. It's the, uh, it's the story of the Zarephath widow. Do you remember the Zarephath widow? Zarephath widow is this woman who has basically nothing and she's about to starve to death. And God leads Elijah who's running from the powers that be in, in, in uh, Israel because he confronted them because they were worshiping the God of Baal. And God sends him to Zarephath and Sidon, which is where everyone's worshiping Baal. Okay? And he goes over there and there he says he's going to provide for him through this woman who has nothing to eat. And so this is the text that I sensed God had laid on my heart. So we, we go and teach the text. And what happens is Elijah comes up to this woman and he says, can you give me something to eat? And she's like, as God is my witness, this is what I have. I have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and I was going to make one last piece of bread and my son and I were going to split it and then we were going to die. That was it. And you're asking me to give you my bread, you know? And he said, yes, I am. And I'm asking that you would continue to make the bread for you, but before you do, you make it for me because God will provide for you and he will always provide for you. And this woman steps out in faith and takes her last piece of bread and she makes it for the prophet of God. And guess what? Every time she returns to that jar, it's full of flour. And every time she returns to the other jar, it's full of oil. And she has everything she needs because she follows God in the land of the pagans where they're worshiping Baal, and all the people back in Israel are trying to worship Baal, but it's the God Yahweh who's providing for this widow in Baal country. You know, this is an amazing thing. Well, the, the principle was that, obviously, you know, we, God has placed principles among us. And the principle for her, what was the smart thing to do? The smart thing was to take care of her son, right, and to give him the food. That's all she had left. And it seems like that'd be the godly thing to do. Why give it away when you've got a son to take care of? That'd be the smart thing to do. The problem is, is that God told her to do something else. And sometimes God just calls an audible on us and he tells us to do something else. You know, we get to the line of scrimmage and it looks like the play's setting up a certain way and God calls an audible and we think we understood what was going on and all of a sudden we realize, hey, Abraham, take that son that I promised to you, to you and put him on an altar. What? You know? And sometimes he says to the Zarephath woman, I know this is all you have, but give it to the prophet. And I, I think the reason that God laid that on my heart that, that Sunday five years ago <coughs> was, excuse me, because that was a picture of Parker Ford Church. Honestly, Parker Ford Church, <clears throat> this is deep in the history of Parker Ford Church, is that there are things that make sense, and then there are just the things that God calls us to do. You know? And sometimes they don't make any sense. Dave the other day, Dave Willower, Pastor Dave, he said this the other day. It was so funny. He said, one of our slogans should be, we build a building we didn't need. That that's one of, what one of our slogans should be. And it's true. We build a building we didn't need. This, right before that message five years ago, this church and a few of you, a few of you were, who was part of the decision-making process? Who was here at the church in the decision-making process when it was time to build a new building? Raise your hand, please. I want to see it. 
Okay, so there's a couple of you still around here in, in second service. Who, there's many, a few more in first service, but most of us have come since then. And what the, what the call was in that moment was God gave this land and God led the church to move forward in building a building. We weren't in a place of need for a building at that point at all. It was completely and totally irrational. What were you thinking, those of you who were here? other than the fact that you were thinking, hey, God told us to do this, like the Zarephath widow. And to the extent that, that the church followed in doing what God asked, God provided. And that mortgage was completely paid off, you know? It was amazing. What, you know, God completely took care of it, and it was amazing how God provided for this church as the church stepped out. And at that rally day, I was reminding us, that's who we are. And as we continue to want to be everything that God's called us to be, we've got to continue to have that kind of faith. And person by person, as God has grown this church, I hope and pray that that faith has grown along with the numbers of people with our church, that we continue to grow into that place where we listen to what God's calling us to do and we're willing to do whatever it takes to step out in faith and say, God, we will follow you because we believe that you will provide, you know? And, and so that year, that's what he asked me to, to speak on. And within a year of that, we had come here. Uh, the Bite Works and the Deerings had come here. And uh, they, the church continued with its craziness and bringing two pastors on when it was only looking for one. And we started this replant idea and went through a whole replant. And since then, the, it's amazing what all God has done. You know, if we look at, uh, I remember when, um, when Jen and I showed up and the Bite Works showed up at the the bite works and the deering showed up. I remember us looking around and realizing, I think there were two other families in our church who had young kids. All right, Tammy, right? Rosados were here, and the Russells were here, and there was young kids. I don't know if there was any other kids at that point uh, around. I don't, I don't think there was, and that was it. And if you look at our children's ministries these days, you can't go anywhere without tripping over one of these stinking kids. You know what I mean? And uh, so, like, there's kids everywhere. They're crawling out of the woodwork, and it's awesome. You know, it's incredible how God is just is raising up these children to know him through the work here. And, and that was because the church built a building that it thought it didn't need, you know, but that God knew it did need, you know. And, and now that building is like getting, like it's pushing out the walls of the building with the children's ministries. It's crazy. And since then, the church has more than doubled in size, and we've seen all sorts of people come to Christ, and we've seen people find their niche in ministry here in the church and out there in the world, and we've seen great stories about what's happening in people's neighborhoods and what's happening in workplaces, and we're hearing all sorts of cool stuff that God's doing through the ministry of Parker Ford Church, you know? And that is because of those steps of faith that it was built on, you know? And I was telling at the first service, there's so many people at first service who were a part of that original core, and I was just saying, the money that you spent was a good investment. You know, look at the returns for the investment. If you bet on God, it's always a solid investment. You know, like that's, it's, it's just good investment. Okay, so anyway, um, that's what, what, what was uh, laid on the heart in that rally day. Coming off of that, what the, the other thing that happened in that rally day, by the way, was that I came walking in, and we didn't have the welcome table, the beautiful welcome table that Matt built for us. We didn't have that yet. There was this kind of card table there that had like, uh, you know, a couple mugs on it for the new person and that type of thing. And walking in, there's this mug there, and the mug said PFC on it. That's all it said. It just said PFC on the front. And I looked at it, and the first thing that came to my mind was people following Christ. Okay, it was the first thing, and I remember standing up and saying, this is what came to my mind, people following Christ. A year later, we came back, and we we're doing the replant, and that phrase kind of stuck. 
that this is what we are. We're people following Christ. That's what this church is. We're just people following Christ. There's no big religious to do. We're not the, you know, big superstructure church. We're a bunch of people following Christ is what we are. And then we started saying we're people following Christ in three directions. Up, in, and out. We follow him up to have a personal relationship with him, right? Where we connect with him spiritually. And when we talk about following him up, we come in three attitudes, three postures. We get small before God because he's big. He's in charge. We get humble and small. We also get grateful to God because he's the provider and we thank him for it. And we get close to God because he's our father, he's the lover, he's the friend, and we draw into intimacy with him. That's people following Christ up. We're also people following Christ in. This is a communal process, not only an individual one. We have personal responsibility in our relationship with God, but we're also in it together. This is a team. This is an army. This is a community. This is a family. This is one body. And so we started saying that we are not just people following Christ, we're a people following Christ. And we strive to be a people following Christ in. And we're doing this together. But that's hard in our busy schedules and all of that to be connected to one another and to figure it out. We're people, a people following Christ up, a people following Christ in, gathered together around the word of God, encouraging each other with it. And then we are a people following Christ out. And today we're going to talk about that. Because today is Vision Sunday. Rally Day has really transitioned into becoming our Vision Sunday. And, uh, you know, so we celebrate all that he's done. And we're just like, man, God, this is crazy what happened. In, it, over the last 200 years, uh, or so, like the close to 200 years of the existence of this church, if you go back and read what God has done, there's been incredible things that have happened. And it's been like Zarephath Widow stuff, where it's not like the church has blown up and gotten big and turned into some megachurch. It's that you look back and hear the stories of what God has done through a family of faith. It's like the Zarephath widow who was willing to do what God called her to. And, and what is the, the, what, what's the measurement of success? The fact that Elijah lived and proclaimed the word of God because she fed him. And what God has done through this church over years, it's been amazing. You know? And then in the last five years through the replant, what's happened since that last rally day? It's a lot easier to measure it. It's a lot easier to see it. It's been like all of a sudden just like God decided to just bubble things up. You know, and we just had this moment of kind of explosion and stuff, which was really neat too, a different way that God has been blessing, okay? But now we're also going to talk about what is the vision moving forward? Because God's not done with us, is he? I hope that, the, that he's not done with us, you know? Who knows what that looks like? Well, we hope that today we're going to learn a little bit more about what that is, that we are a people following Christ, not just up, first up, where he's the vine we receive from him. Also, we're a people following Christ in. We know each other and we gather around the word. But we are also a people following Christ out. And we're going to look at that in the next few minutes. Join me in prayer. God, I just thank you. You have been the Almighty One. You have blessed us. And you have been everything to us in so many ways, God. And, uh, you know, it's just your grace has been all over us. And you've allowed us to participate in this thing, in this project, in this church, you know, and with this thing you call church. And we thank you for it. We praise you for it. We're not done. You're not done. Continue to lead on, and we will follow. In the name of Jesus, amen. So as we're looking to see what God's vision for church is, best place to turn, of course, is the Scripture. And if you turn to the Scripture and you were to look at Genesis chapter 1, and you start in Genesis chapter 1, and you start reading through the Bible, and you're reading in your English version looking for the word church, 
You finally come to it when you get to the New Testament, the first book in the New Testament, and you get to the 16th chapter when our beautiful Savior is speaking to his apostles and he finally mentions the word church. Okay, and the first time that the word is church, he's talking about how he's going to build a church. This is like he's this is design phase. You remember in January, if you were if you were here already with us in January, some of you weren't here yet. But if you were here in January, we had a we had a, a sermon series, which was one of my favorite sermon series in Acts, which was the foundation of the church. You know, and we talked about the the practices of the early church and what that looked like. It was a great sermon series. I loved it. But this is even before that, before there even was a church, when. It was just a thought in Jesus' mind when he's saying, this is what I'm going to build my church on. And this is Matthew chapter 16. And he's all the way up in northern Israel in Caesarea Philippi, way up in the north, even north of where Josh was talking about Jesus being baptized, up in a place that's now referred to as the Golan Heights. There's been terrible wars fought up there and everything. And there's this place called Caesarea Philippi. And it was like pagan territory up there, basically. And there was this huge temple. It wasn't even a temple as such. It, It was called the Temple of Pan, but all it was was this big rock face like a cliff and in the cliff was carved all these idols because pan was a it was a whole a whole bunch of gods, you know? And there's this cave in the cliff where the sacrifices were made and all of that stuff and that's where Caesarea Philippi was. Well, Jesus picks this spot to begin to talk with his apostles about who he is. Okay, and he wants to establish who he is and he wants to establish foundational truth. And so he asked them at first, he says, "So who do people say I am?" And do you remember what they said? They said, who do people say I am? Wait, don't put that up there yet. I'm sorry. It's okay. I know. Garrett's so good back there. He's incredible. He knows exactly where I'm going and he puts it up there. But I just don't want to blow. I want to see what you guys know before he gives you the answer, okay? So who, does, who do people say that I am? What did, what did they say? John the Baptist, right? Or... Elijah, who actually, that makes sense if they thought it was John or Elijah, because those two are kind of the same in that way. And then they say, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. All right, Garrett, from here on out, it's all yours. Um, And so uh, they say, John the Baptist, or one of the prophets, or whatever. And Jesus does this wonderful thing at this moment. He turns the conversation away from theology, And he turns it away from just philosophy and asking about the movement of what everyone's believing. And instead, he makes it personal. And he gets right to his apostles. And he says, that's great what they think and everything. But what I really want to know is what do you think? Who am I to you? Who is the Son of Man to you? And isn't this the real question? Isn't this what it's all about? The question that each of us really has to answer? Who is Jesus? I have to answer who he is in the big scheme of things. And who I believe he is in the big scheme of things. And then I also have to answer who is he in my life. You know? And so that's what Jesus does. He turns and points the question at them. He says, how about you? Who do you say that I am? And and, and who responds? The one who always responds. The one who always jumps in there. Peter, the impetuous one. And And he steps out and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Bam. There it is. You are the Christ the Son of the living God, okay? And this is Peter declaring truth. And Peter stumbles across the foundation of the church in that statement. And the foundation of the church is one simple truth, that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. That He is both God and Messiah. 
That he is the suffering servant who dies on our behalf, but he is the king of all who reigns forever. Okay, and this is what Peter is, is told. Listen to how Jesus responds, and this is what I want us to see here. This is in verse 17. Jesus responds to him and says, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Let's stop there for a second. He doesn't say, good job, good answer, way to go, good thinking, buddy. He says, blessed. You are blessed, Simon. You are blessed. This has been, somebody just hooked you up. You've been blessed. And he goes on to say, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I love this moment because notice what he calls him. Simon, his human given name, son of Jonah, his dad. And then he says, but you didn't learn this from your daddy. You learned it from my daddy up here. Okay? And he says, you're Simon, son of Jonah, but this foundation you just found was whispered from the very realms of heaven, my father, who whispered that to you. You're learning to hear the voice of God. And when you hear the voice of God, the first thing you're hearing is that I am his son and that I am your savior that you have to submit to me because I am God the Son incarnate and you also need me because you can't live without me and I'm the one who has to redeem you. And when he found that truth, he found the rock-solid foundation. He found the cornerstone upon which the church is built. He found the truth that Jesus is the head of the church, that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is our Savior. And you remember when Moses got his name? Do you remember how he got his name? Anybody remember what his name means? Drawn out. Remember why? Because he was in that water in the Nile and he got drawn out of the water. And so he got drawn out of the water and got named Drawn Out. Peter found and stood on the rock. And so he got named Rock. People think this means that Peter was a rock. Are you kidding me? Simon thought he was a rock. You know, and it turns out he wasn't a rock at all. He fell time and time again. And it wasn't until he learned that he wasn't a rock that he discovered the rock, Jesus. And all the times that Peter thought he was a rock and he was a tough guy are the times when Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan, to him, right? Because he's living under the lie and the deception that he lives by his own strength and he lives under his own authority. And that's the lie of Satan. But when he discovers this truth right here, that he has to come under submission to Jesus and he lives by the strength of Jesus. He finally found the rock foundation he can stand on. And because of that, Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. You ha- this has been revealed to you by my Father. He has spoken into your heart. And now you are becoming a rock because you are standing on the rock. And then he says this, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And then... He says, and it depends on your translation here in the, in the NIV, it says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Most other translations will tell you, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay, and so what this means is, is that there is a, an enemy deception, a lie that has pervaded our world that holds on to human minds and human institutions, that people are under their own authority and that people stand by their own two feet. And that's the deception of the enemy, the humanistic lie. And what he says is this truth, that Jesus is Lord and that he is the Messiah will break down every stronghold of the enemy and no lie will stand against it because because the truth of God's authority and God's provision will bust down the doors of the enemy. And I will build my church 
on that truth. Okay, so that's what's going on. That's the foundation of the truth. Now we're going to fast forward, and it's a couple decades later, and Peter now has seen all sorts of things. Peter, you remember, it was just after this statement when Jesus told him how he was going to be the Savior. He was going to die, and he was going to be resurrected, and Peter, tough guy, uh, was like, no, we're not going to let that happen to you. Because Satan was whispering into his ear that lie because he actually thought it was his job to protect Jesus and provide. Like he was going to be Jesus' Messiah. You know, he was going to be Jesus' Savior. He was, no, that's not a good idea. Whatever you just said, Jesus, that's not a good idea. I have a better idea. I'm not going to let that happen to you. You know, because he wanted to do things his way. And instead of submitting to the Son of God's truth, he was going to take his own truth. And instead of leaning into Jesus as the Messiah, he was going to be Jesus' Savior. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then he watches as Jesus' words come true. As he dies and, he, and, he, and he, you know, he gets put into the tomb and he resurrects and then he restores Peter. You remember where he, he tells Peter, yeah, you finally realized you're not a tough guy. And uh, once you realize that, now you're ready to go feed my sheep because I'm the one who's going to do it. Now go do it. You don't need to be perfect. I got it. Go do it. And then he tells them to go to Jerusalem and pray. And they go into that upper room and they start to pray. And he says in, in Acts 1.8, what he said to him, you remember what he says? He says, but you will receive power. And the Holy Ghost will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so they're sitting here in the upper room and they're praying. And all of a sudden, all heaven breaks loose, right? And just, boom, Jesus returns. Jesus comes back. But he doesn't come back in flesh. He comes back in spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we're told in the scriptures, called the Spirit of Jesus, comes down and inhabits his body, who is now all these different people. And Jesus has not done his work. He's just getting started his work as he inhabits all these people who are members of the body of Christ, and he empowers them to do the work that he already started. Okay? And Peter watches all of that happen. And now it's decades later, and the church is about to go into second generation of the church. They're about to pass the baton onto the second generation of the church. The people who didn't really know Jesus, who weren't there for the whole scene, were part of this lineage. But that second generation, they were only one generation removed. But guess what? They didn't hear Jesus teach. They didn't get to see him heal. They're kind of like us. They're living in the heritage of it. And Peter knew that the persecution was coming. Ultimately, Peter would be, himself be martyred. And he knew it was coming, and he tries to explain to them what the foundation of church is again. And so this is where, where we get to 1 Peter when he's writing to them in 1 Peter. And, and I want to read for you. I'm going to start in verse 4 and just read a verse here and then we're going to jump down a little bit further. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And he says this, As you come to him, the living stone, the living stone, what does that remind you of? What did, he, what did Peter's confession about the rock? What, what, what was the confession? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And remember, they're in Caesarea Philippi where there's all those, there's, there's all those gods carved on the, those false idols, those dead idols carved into the rock face. And he says, I know who you are. You're the son of the God who's alive. You're the son of the living God. And then, P, and then Jesus says, you've discovered the rock. Okay? That's the rock solid truth. So now what does Peter say? As you come to him, the living stone. The living rock. Isn't that cool? How you can see Peter looking back and thinking about what Jesus said to him and now he's interpreting to these people and he's making imagery for them. This is living stones. None of us have ever seen stones that are alive, but he's like, that's all I can say. It's a living stone. And he says, as you come to him, 
the living stone who was rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You also, like living stones, you're becoming living stones because you are basing your life on the rock-solid truth that Jesus is Lord and that he is Savior. I am learning to submit to God and to depend on God for that submission. And as I'm learning to come to him, I too am being built into a, into a stone. And what happens is, is now you're believing that and you're believing that and we come together following Christ in and it's like the, it, the, the mortar between the stones is like our arms linking around each other and it's like we're forming a circle of those who, who submit to Jesus, who believe that he's the Lord of our lives, that we are not here for, that, that he is not here for us, that we are here for him as the band just sang about uh, during offering today. We are here for him and as we learn to live that and hold on to that and live by his power and by his grace we hold on to that truth together and we form a perimeter we form walls and within that walls we find the power and the presence and the glory of God resting among us and he fills it up with the glory of God okay and that's what the community is the presence of the living God among us now I want to tell you something that uh, five years ago, after that rally day message, Jen, we, we knew that at some point we were going to be in Pottstown anyway. We, we had known that for a long time. God called us when, we were in, when I was in college. God called me back to this area. But after that rally day message, we knew that something was really starting to brew here, you know, and it was time to come back. And, and Josh and Shelby knew that it was time for them to make a move. And we started talking and praying. We'd go out to uh, Michigan. They'd come in here, and, and we were talking about we were actually going to plant a church in Pottstown, in the borough of Pottstown there. We were thinking about what we were going to do. And in the middle of that, uh, I would come down here from Ephrata, and I would begin to pray over the area. I'd go over to Sunnybrook. At the time, there was nothing at Sunnybrook, and I would just pray. I remember getting my guitar out and worshiping God there and saying, God, establish something here, because this is a place that used to be hopping in Pottstown, and it's just nothing here anymore. You know, like reinvigorate this city. I would go and pray over schools, and I would pray over the land and ask God to do things in our city again and, and, and ask God to change it. And then I remember coming over here to this church, and the new church was built at that time, and I remember looking at the church and just praying and praying for this church, for Parker Ford Church. And this is the picture I got. I want you to close your eyes with me for a second and just picture this with me. In my mind's eye, in, in my mind's eye, I had an imagination as I, would, as I would pray. I would be picturing this. Everything's dark. It's night. And this church is sitting here in this place. And, and the, you know there's that steeple, that Belvedere on the top where apparently that's designed for light to come in to the church. You know, not here, but that's what those things are originally for. But in this case, what was happening was as I was praying, I was seeing light just streaming out of that steeple, out of that Belvedere. And out of the windows, there was just light pouring out of it into the darkness. And out of the glass doors in the front of the church, there was light just pouring out of it. And you could see that there was darkness all around, but there was this warm glow around this church. And then what would happen, like moths drawn to flame, you would see dark shadows of people who would crawl and creep and make their way toward the light. And then, God, and then people would just be drawn in to this place where God is followed, where Christ is followed up, where the presence of God is in this community, this spiritual house that is being built. And people who were in isolation, people who had been deeply wounded by the lies of the enemy and the hurts of those who were lied but to by the enemy, and, and all of those isolations and the deception and the lust and the decrepit nature of our society, people would crawl out of it and would come to a place where there was 
warmth in the presence of God and there was light in the truth of God and there was power for healing in this hospital, this place of refuge that God had created. Okay, you can open your eyes. And that was, that's what, as I would pray, that's what I was picturing all the time. And I just prayed. And the vision statement of the church at that point was that we are a love-filled home. We are a light in darkness, a city on a hill. And you can see that picture uh, in, in my mind's eye as I was praying it. But something has progressed about that picture as I've prayed over the last five years. Okay, and first I want to read what Paul or what Peter continues to go on and say. And then I'll tell you what's happened in my mind's eye in that picture from there. Okay, so I want you to look down at verse 9. And we'll start in verse 9 here of 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in this world, to abstain from the sinful desires which war among your soul, against your soul. In other words, all that stuff that's being believed out there in the darkness, the stuff that people are satisfying themselves with in the darkness, the tools that the enemy uses to deceive us, to think that we're satisfied in the moment, to relieve the hunger inside of us that can only actually be fulfilled by God. Abstain from those things. Live such good lives among the pagans, among the rest of the world, among the darkness, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they're not going to like it, they're going to be frustrated about it, they will see, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, in this passage, it tells us that we are a priesthood. We are here not just for ourselves. We are here to pray on behalf of others. It tells us that we have a job to do, and that is declare the praises of him who called us out of the darkness into the light. So as moths, all of us were drawn to the flame. We were in the deception, and God brought us into the light, and he brought us in, and he's changing our lives, and he's making us into a love-filled home and all of that. But our job is to declare the praises of him who did that. And then it says that we are to go out and live among the rest of the world the truth of the gospel, so that when people see it, they look, and they might get frustrated by it because we're not playing the same game they are, but in the end, they will glorify God. I want you to close your eyes again. This is the picture that I had, okay, as I continued to pray. In my mind, the imagination would, would change as I would pray, and I would imagine that not only that I'd see that warm glow of the church and the light there and people coming in and crawling into the place and being healed and being welcomed and being taught and, and, and just seeing good fellowship and just great worship of God taking place, but then something happened. The service ended. The worship service ended. And as the worship service ended, I see a, a little thing start to come out of the front door. And then another thing come out of the window. 
And then all out of that Belvedere, out of that steeple, and all out of the windows, and pouring out of the glass doors, I see something pouring out and going all across into the darkness. But it's not moths being drawn into the flame. Instead, it's fireflies going out into the darkness. And they invade the darkness with their light. And I realize that the purpose was not just to create a place of refuge, was not only so that God could protect us and provide safety in this place, but God was raising up an army. He was raising up an army of fireflies, of light bearers who would carry his light into every corner of influence that our church represents. And that as we worship God up and connect with him and connect to the vine, and as we learn to know each other, and as we are equipped, that God sends us out to invade the darkness, to pray on behalf of those who are behind the gates of the enemy, to to speak the truth of our testimony about how he brought me out of darkness darkness and into the light and that we would sit there and live in those places the glory of the truth of God and when we do that the gates of hell that lock up people's minds that lock up the schools where our kids go to school that lock up the thinking in the government that lock up our workplaces with greed and with idolatry that the gates of hell would not be able to stand against the truth of the gospel that is a wellspring within each one of the fireflies that is just come out of this place. You can open up your eyes. God has raised us up to be a firefly army. That is what he is doing. We don't exist to stay here. When you raise a family, you don't raise the kids up just so that they're more and more dependent on mom and dad. You raise kids up so they can do and be all they were supposed to do and be. And this church, while I hope that our passionate connection with God only grows and that the vine feeds its branches and nurtures its branches, and I hope that, that you are just con- you can't get enough of each other and you're inviting each other over and having dinner with each other and hanging out together, but we are not here primarily as a social organization. Your leaders are not here to be social programmers. We are not here to be a spiritual entertainment people. We are here to get a hold of God to be encouraged by one another, be grounded in the word of God so that we can go and invade the darkness with the light of Jesus Christ. And we don't do that just programmatically as a church. We do it in the families in which we exist. We do it in the workplaces where we're called to. We do it in the neighborhoods where we are the intercessors. We are the ones who are called to pray. We are the light in darkness. We are the ones who can stand up and declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness into a wonderful place of light and how he's changing my life. And you should check it out too because there's a hospital over here. There's a place of refuge over here. There's a warmth, a family. Come sit by the fire for a while and learn to know what it's like. But I'm going to keep Keep going because there's more people who need to know. God was so gracious to us to bring us into the light. But he's called us not just to follow him to this place because Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, the beautiful thing about the Firefly Army is it's not like when Moses went up onto Mount Sinai and he came back down and his face was glowing, but then it started to fade away. It's much different than that. See, the presence of God goes with us, and he dwells within us, and everywhere we go, Jesus says that streams of living out of us flow streams of living water, that we 
we are the light of the world. And everywhere we go, into our family, into our workplace, God promises to go with us if we will go in mission for him. And this is, as we move forward, it is imperative that we recognize we are not here for us. We are here for him and for all those who he loves. And he empowers us and indwells us so that we can help invite others into that process, so that we can help invade the places of darkness. And each one of us has a gift. Each one of us has acts of service that God has preordained we should do. Ephesians tells us that. It says that the work of leadership is to equip the, wor- the, equip the saints for the works of service which God preordained that they should do. And some of you have been finding that. Some of you have started helping out with the kitchen crew here at church because you realize that fellowship is a big part of following God in. So I'm going to be a part of that. Some of you have recognized that following God in means that children really need help, you know? And so you've engaged in the children's ministries and you've been a part of that. Some of you have taken very seriously the call to be out there doing what God's called you to do and you've started prayer walking around your neighborhood expecting that God's going to knock on the doors, not just the people's front doors, but on the doors of their hearts. Because it's not just door-to-door evangelism that gets a hold of people. It's the Spirit of God coming with inside a person, creating a hunger inside of them. And then we find God just creates natural relationships that people just walk into blindly, not realizing that the Holy Spirit is creating a moment for a divine encounter for them to have Christ. Some of you have gone to work and said, I don't even care what else is happening around here and what everyone's doing. I am going to live by integrity. I am going to live the way that God has called me to live, and I am going to live by the light of the gospel. And as we engage in that process, as we understand we're not here for us, we recognize that God is doing this great work and that he's raising up a firefly army, okay? Now, practically speaking, nuts and bolts around Parker Ford Church, you can bring the lights up a little bit, please. Um, I want to look into your faces a little bit more. Thank you. And as, as, we, as we pursue this mission that God has for us, and as we're open to him equipping us and training us, There's a few things that are happening right now in our church that are part of that, okay? One of those is that this work of our lives being transformed and becoming in mission with God, this isn't a psychological process primarily. This isn't just an education process. This is is fighting spiritual warfare. Our minds struggle like everyone else's do. We are lied to by the enemy, and there are gates of hell. There are strongholds in our mind that need to be busted down because we think inappropriately. We feel inappropriately. We all struggle with it. Like Paul, who says, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things that I want to do. You know, and that internal turmoil. And so there's that fight. There's that war. And so the first thing that needs to happen is we engage the war. And we do that through prayer. That's how we do it which is why for the last six months or so, Pastor Josh has been released. We've said we've tithed his time to just go and pray. Just fight, man. You're a warrior. You're a prayer warrior. Go and fight. Pray. And it creates space for the presence of God. We worship God and allow his presence to be there so people can experience the transformation. And it's also trying to create space and break down those strongholds by prayer. And Josh, next week, is going to talk a little bit more about what you're going to hear. It's, next week's going to be our second rally day, and you're going to hear uh, more specific things about how vision is working, and you're going to hear from Josh Bitework about that. You're also going to hear from Josh Hostetter about the other thing that's going on right now, which is the education 
process, the discipleship process, where we learn to walk in relationship with God, walk in dependence on the rock, walk depending on the rock, the truth that he's in charge, learning to submit ourselves to him and, and walk depending on him. And that's about our discipleship ministries. That has to do with kids' ministries. It has to do with training up families to be equipping places for their, for their kids, you know, training our kids to be those who go out and invade the darkness. It has to do with marriages being, being partnerships in the kingdom of God, which is why we have on Tuesday nights, we have prayers for marriage coming up, the marriage class that we're going to be doing. It's about, you know, how, how do, in parenting and, and in marriage, how do we maximize those things to invade the kingdom of, of darkness? And, and there's all sorts of places that, as a church, we need to work at equipping one another to be the disciples that we're called to be, to be the light bearers that we're called to be out there, you know? And right now, uh, on that side, on the, on the discipleship side, we have, like, we talk about the children's ministry. We have over 60-some children's workers right now. Um, and we have uh, three different children's ministries. And we don't, our youth is the thing that we've been continuing to pray over and asking God to really birth that thing. Obviously, there's a whole army of little kids who are going to be coming up in youth, and we keep praying that God will take greater shape of our youth ministry and more and more. And we thank God for the youth we have, and we know that that continues to need more nurturing. And we, there's, there's adult ministries. We have the Tuesday night things. We have Sunday school classes. There's Bible studies that meet. All of that for the purpose. There's prayer meetings. All of that to equip people for the works of service that we're called to do. Right now, we have one person who's overseeing that. That's our director of Christian Ed, who's Josh Hostetter. And he's a volunteer, and he has a young family, and has a full-time job doing otherwise, which is why there's a proposal on the table from the church board to bring him on part-time at this point to spend some more time coordinating all of that. Because we all know if you've been involved in any of those ministries, you know that it can be pretty chaotic when there's just kids everywhere, and there's like people who have needs everywhere, and, and there's not a whole lot of coordination. Josh Bitework used to oversee that ministry, but we said, this is a spiritual battle. Josh is a prayer warrior. Get him praying. But then you know, what happens to the, to the other ministries as well, you know? And I was just saying to the Helping Hands class, I've tried to answer as many questions as I can with people, but I'm like 150 deep in my inbox right now with emails of people asking logistic questions that I can't get to, you know? And, and so we're excited about the fact that it's creating, as, as God is raising up an army, it's just bubbling up all over the place. Logistically, man, it's like boot camp up in here, but we didn't, like, we're underst- understaffed and like, also, you know, and it's, God's like, step out, follow me, and I'll take care of it, you know? Step out, follow me, and I'm going to raise up my army, you know? And I'm going to raise up an army of fireflies with the light and the love of God who are going to invade the darkness. And so those are two parts of it. Um, there's also, obviously, building space, what that looks like moving forward as God continues to expand that. That's why there's conversation opening back up about the building project again, um, and, uh, you know, we're called to be ambassadors. Each one of us has personal responsibility. The church, um, as an institution or whatever, as a family, can't raise us each up. You know, you can't expect mom and dad to... If mom and dad are the ones who are always doing everything for us, then we're not growing and learning to, to be everything we need to be as kids, right? We have to take personal responsibility. And so one of the major important things that as, a, as church leadership we've really felt the need to begin to do is clarify what we expect from individuals, individual members of the church. What we think, and this is scriptural, what we expect from scripture, what does it look like an average disciple of Jesus Christ does? And how does that look here at Parker Ford Church? And this, there's two kind of layers in Parker Ford Church. There's Sunday morning attendance. 
Some of you come for Sunday morning and that's about where you're at. And that's fine. This place is one of the other slogans of our church has always been a place where everyone is always welcome. And anyone here is always welcome to just show up, you know, and hang out anytime you want. If you're bleeding from a relationship, you're hurting from some experience you had, great place to just come, experience the presence of God, hear truth, engage in worship. And, you know, like that's it. Sunday morning, I just came to the hospital and I'm getting bandaged up and all of that. Okay, that's good. And we hope that this is healing. And we hope that you feel love. But if we're going to become the army, if we're going to become members of the body of Christ, that means like an arm is a member of the body, a finger is a member of the body. That's a functional part of the body of Christ. That there's expectations around what it takes individually to pursue that kind of relationship with God that allows us to engage in that. Okay, And so by the grace of God, we have uh, put out uh, something that we call membership expectations that we've talked about before this year, and we're going to talk about them again. Right now, we're just going to read through them to, end, to uh, close things up, uh, to say this is, if, if you're at a spot where you're, you're a member here, and I don't just mean that in the technical sense of like people just took membership at our first service, although that is true, but if you're, if you're in you want to be in. You're not just like coming and, and watching, but you want to be in and a part and a part of the process of what God's doing. That, that there's things that we just kind of expect. These aren't requirements for membership. To be a member of the body of Christ, you know what needs to happen? Jesus needs to die on a cross and we need to trust him for it. You know, that's what it takes to be a part of the body of Christ. But to be a functional member of the body of Christ, scripturally, it looks like we're engaging in a number of different things. So what we're going to do today is we're going to read these membership expectations and we're going to do it together. This is not you making a commitment saying, I will do these things. This is just us reading together to gain clarity, just so we're all clear. This is what we believe through Scripture, interpreted into this place, we kind of expect is, is a reality for those who are being raised up into this Firefly Army. So I'm going to have you stand with me right now, please, and we're going to read this together. And we'll read one at a time, because I want to say something a, a little bit in a few of these. So just read and, uh, one and then pause with me, okay? Membership expectations. Here we go. PFC members have received Christ's forgiveness, entered into relationship with God, and displayed it through baptism. All right? So we can't be a member of the body of Christ until we have a relationship with him, which comes through the cross. Baptism is the picture of it. Second one. Let's go. PFC members share basic theological beliefs. We all hold on to the truth, the rock-solid truth that Peter discovered. And there are other things, and, and we learn those together. All right, third one, let's go. PFC members are growing in biblical lifestyle, relationships, and spiritual practices. This means that we believe that as someone is in a relationship with God, that their lifestyle is beginning to look more and more like the scriptures describe a lifestyle should. Like Josh said, we're all in process. We don't expect anyone to be perfect, but we do expect that as God is working in a person, that there's progress that's happening and that we are engaging in spiritual practices that are a part of that. That's why we produce that booklet that's on the welcome table, Personal Practices in Pursuit of Christ for Your Own Personal Disciplines. We Anticipate that people are about that and that the relationships are beginning to reflect a relationship with God. All right, next one. PFC members attend weekly Sunday morning worship services. We anticipate that this is, this is just straight Bible, right? Do not neglect the gathering together of believers. From the very beginning, seventh day, God established rest. We were created on the sixth day, so when we were, woke up on our first full day, 
It was a day of rest where we connect with God. That charged up the batteries so we could do what we do the rest of the week, and we honor Him in this way. It was always a big problem in Scripture when people didn't honor that. Weekly attendance, okay? That's an expectation. Weekly attendance. That's a weekly thing we do. This isn't because it's like, we need to fill up the pews. This is a basic biblical principle. When we're out of town, when Jen and I are out of town, we find a church to worship at, okay? All right, next one. PFC members participate in basic PFC discipleship opportunities. I cannot expect to be a part of the army if I am not trained to be a part of the army. And that's what the discipleship process is all about. I can't expect to be following Christ if I'm not going after it with other people. We have lots of different discipleship opportunities here. We expect that those who are engaged are engaged in at least one of those things and a part of it. Okay? Next. PFC members intentionally connect with people in the church family. If we are people following Christ in, that means that we're in this thing together. We can't be in it together if we don't have relationships. Again, we're not social coordinators here. We're not, cruise, we're not you know, the cruise director who's creating social events. That's on you guys to figure out how to, you're, you're big people. You can figure out how to relate to each other. You've got to make effort at that, at building relationships. That doesn't happen on its own. Okay, next. PFC members engage in regular, intentional service in the kingdom. Each of us have jobs to do. God's created us for that. We're looking for how we can engage and serve. Next, PFC members give a percentage of their income. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If you say you're all in and your heart's here, but your treasure isn't here, guess what? You're defying scripture on that one. It's not actually true. We invest where we want our hearts to be. That's a biblical thing. It's not about the money. God provides for the Zarephath widow. He'll provide for Parker Ford Church. Not worried about that. I'm worried about us. You know, if our hearts are going to be right, that's a financial investment. Pick a percentage that you're going to give. Ultimately, the biblical picture minimum really is 10%, but between you and God, figure that out and start giving percentage of your income, and, uh, and God will honor that. Last one, all right? PFC members honor God with open, honest, and kind church communication. In other words, if we're a family, we love each other, we speak appropriately about each other, about leaders, about if we have problems with the way things are going, we go and speak appropriately to the right person about it. If we have a problem with that person sitting on this side, we don't go and talk about them. We go and talk with them. We're in it together. This is a body thing. So we've got to honor each other in the way we communicate. These are basic expectations of those who are being raised up to be the firefly army of God. I am not saying that by you saying this, you are necessarily committing to that at all. You might be like, I'm not anywhere close to that. That's fine. Feel free to hang out here. Don't feel pressure. If you want to go beyond that and you're stepping into that, process. This is what we want to clarify is what we expect those remembers. Now listen, as we close up, we're not the only contingent of God's Firefly Army. There's clearing houses all over the place here. There's platoons all over the place. And, and Netzer is our local network of churches that we connect to where we, God's raising up armies all over the place. And, and you'll find sometimes Josh and I, we're, part of what we're doing is trying to connect with other churches and other places because we believe that we're a part of a larger army. And it's a lot bigger than just us. But, but here, we can focus on what God's given us, okay? And, and, and we go after us being the fireflies, being the light bearers that God's called us to be as, uh, as members of his body as we follow him, not only up and not only in, but also out, okay? We are ambassadors for Christ 
and this is our call. Let's let the light of the gospel move through our lives as we stand on the foundational truth of Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord. And as we do, let's take it to the streets, people. All right? Let's pray.